Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I am joined by Cameron Beddy, a mental health practitioner who utilizes neuro-linguistic programming, movement therapy, mindfulness, and hypnosis in his work as a transformational life coach. Cameron is also the author of The Anxiety Antidote, How Awareness and Action Can Lead to Self-Control and Inner Peace. Welcome to the podcast, Cameron. How are you? I'm very well, Adrian. How are you today? I'm good. It's so good to reconnect. We have known each other for a very, very long time, years Mm -hmm. and years and years ago. It's great to reconnect. And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. I'm sure listeners are going to gain so much from your wisdom, knowledge, and also your approach as well. Mm. I'm excited to share with you. So firstly, so the topic of anxiety is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, firstly, Mm -hmm. I think the first place I wanted to start is that we often use the word anxiety, I'm sure most people probably hear that word every single day. And I think it's used interchangeably with other words like stress, worry, even depression. We just kind of lump all these things together and just say, oh, anxiety. So Mm. I think a great place to start would be actually to give us an understanding in your terms of the definition of what anxiety is and what it isn't. Um, Sure. Yes, you're completely right. The word anxiety has in many ways become a umbrella term for the way that it's used, um, a surface level answer, I guess. And I guess for some people it has a safety in that aspect. Um, People will say I have anxiety or I feel anxious. Um, But in terms of the the deeper definition, anxiety tends to be a feeling or a a number of different feelings. And that can be a physical response. Um, The feelings, the emotions a person feels, it can be a physical experience and then a mental experience as well with their thoughts. Um, But it always, always is subject dependent for each person. So if I'm feeling anxious, it will be very different to what you're feeling anxious about or the next person. It's always key really to get into what you're anxious about and what you're feeling so that you can understand it and deal with it. Hmm. And I think it's important for us to reason I ask you about this definition I'm sure it is you know it's complex but I think Mm. sometimes what some people do is they might diminish it down to saying oh you know if you're feeling anxious about this thing you've just got to get on with it or I've heard Mm. people saying before about you know maybe diminishing that conversation whether it's with young people it might be teenage teenagers it might be children Mm -hmm. when they're trying to explain how they feel and kind of saying to them well you know, yes, it is normal to feel all these different emotions. It's normal to feel worried or it's normal to feel maybe temporarily anxious or nervous about something. But I think it, yeah, it is important to understand that this is a real, you know, it is a real thing, you know, from a mental yeah. perspective and it can have phys- physical uh, expression or challenges, as you said. So yeah. yeah, what what I suppose are, yeah, I guess some of those like key signs to say actually, yeah, this is something that needs to be taken seriously. Well, I think something that you've already touched on is the the different feelings. And that's where I personally don't hear people express what those feelings are, um, because they'll use that umbrella term of anxiety. And it is it tends to be things like stress or worry 
um, for a lot of people, they can be feeling or thinking a lot of fear. Um, and again, so looking at what the emotion is can lead you to get more of an understanding of, of what it is you need to work on. Um, in terms of the mind-body connection, quite simply, what a person is thinking, what they see in their thoughts, what they hear with their inner voice, with their thinking, will always, always influence their emotional state in the body. And so when a person is stressed or worried, or if they're having thoughts of panic or fear, they will have a physical response in the body. And that could be feeling tight or tense. It could be shorter, sharper breaths. It could be increased heart rate. It could be feelings of freeze where the body actually feels like it's rigid and stiff. But it always comes from what is going through the person's head in terms of their thinking. Mm, I think I can certainly relate to, um, for me, I feel like the way I feel in my body is, it's, and it's going to sound so gross and weird, but like I will sweat if I am really anxious and nervous, yes, yeah. but also if I'm excited. So I feel like as a public speaker, it's mm. not the best combination because you might be just about to go on stage and yeah. other people might say they have like sweaty palms or whatever. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I'm actually starting to sweat as if I'm doing a workout. And right. it's not necessarily that I'm so nervous that I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm more excitement. than happy to do it. Yeah. yeah. And then once I get up, yeah. <laughs> once I get up on the stage and I start speaking, it completely yeah. dis dissipates. I have no feelings of anxiety at all during my yeah. delivery. But honestly, a few minutes before, I'm always yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people can get those physical responses. And there have been a handful of people that I've worked with over the years who have got confused with what their body is producing because they think it's anxiety. But exactly like you said, they're actually excited because the feelings of excitement, like you can, you can get um, butterflies in your tummy, you can, you know, your breathing can increase, your heart rate can increase in excitement and you can sweat. But a lot of people now put that down to, oh my God, I'm, I'm going into anxiety. And they are very true and valid physical responses like the sweating the breathing that can really happen for a person um but like you're saying when you're when you're looking at what you're doing you know is that experience that you're going into leading you to feel anxious or is it making you feel excited and again it's always context dependent mm, yeah and i think another thing that i wanted to talk to you about when it comes to anxiety is this idea of rational versus irrational fears. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that I think was really helpful for me quite a few years ago when I was, I was, you know, yeah, I suppose really struggling with the period of anxiety in my yes. life due to mm. a family member who had who was ill. And I mm. feel like the fear was totally rational because at the end of the day, if yes. you know that the thing you're worried about is very real, then mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful to know instead of just going, oh, you, don't, you shouldn't be worried about that. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's not rational. So I think how can people start to, I guess, understand the difference between the two and to know that, yes, this is something that is a rational fear and we have fear in our bodies for a reason yeah. or when it starts to almost I guess grow and become something that's maybe maybe it's something we're worried about is really unlikely to happen or maybe it's yeah. something that happened once and will probably never happen again mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we have this irrational fear around it yeah no that's a really good point that you shared and I think it, there is a true reality for a lot of people especially when we have someone close to us or even ourselves, where you know someone is ill or we're ill there can be a lot of fear and there can be a lot of worry and the truth is we can't escape that reality especially if we're there caring for them we're spending time for them or even if we're not there it can play a lot on our mind um that is a true experience whereas it's slightly different for the irrational thoughts and fears which 
we are kind of predicting that could happen. So I guess where it's a reality, the one of the key ways to work through that is to allow the thoughts in and to not fight them because, you know, it's it's keeping us in that state of concern or looking after that person or keeping them safe. But one of the ways to work through that is to mindfully have um, time out um, mm. so that you don't, you know, it doesn't consume you all the time. And so whether that's, you know, space to walk, space to work out, space to read, it's doing something where you can practice mindfully being present and being there, just being mindful that you're managing and looking after yourself. Now, it's very different when it's an irrational fear, because we can spend so much time thinking and thinking, what if this happens? What if that happens? And again, it just feeds and feeds the feelings of worry into the body. And that's a different approach. You have to learn how to mindfully interact with your thoughts to stop those thought patterns so that they don't spiral into a negative space which just leaves you feeling on edge Mm. i have a question which i don't know what your Mm. i guess advice would be on this which is why i'm asking you the expert it's something that i thought about in the past and it kind of worked well for me but i'm wondering if it's like a safe practice i suppose and that Mm. is you know if you're worried about something that you think maybe is an irrational fear and you worry about it and sometimes people's responses to say okay you know just forget about it it's not going to happen it's unlikely just forget about it push it to the back of your mind forget Mm -hmm. about it don't think about it whereas what someone said to me once was okay instead of doing that instead of squashing it down into this scary box and like pushing it away and saying never ever lift the lid of that box and it'll just be fine yeah they actually said what if you actually imagined the thing that you're so scared of happening that you're worried about every single day what if it did happen let's just say okay it's going to happen what would you do then and like in terms of different scenarios and it's like oh i was like well i guess i would do this and then i guess i'd have to do that and then the therapist kind of said to me well if you did that you'd be okay And it was Mm. such a game changer because instead of me Mm. just thinking, okay, every week, every day, just telling myself, come on, Adrienne, it's not going to happen. I was like, actually, I really hope it doesn't. But if it did, Mm -hmm. I would be okay. So yeah, is that a helpful practice for people? Is that kind of a safe thing to think about? I think it's something that people can explore because again, it's it's only a thought, it's only a set of thoughts. You're not actually going to do it. You're just thinking that. And what you're, what you're doing there is your future pacing, your future thinking through what could happen and how you would deal with that situational scenario. And I think that is a good way to look at things because underneath the surface of anxiety, for a lot of things that people think about, there can be an underlying need for safety. It's Mm. like an inner search for safety. So actually, if you think of that thing that you fear actually happening, and then through your mind, you address what your response would be, if you think up and think, how would I deal with this? That could get you to feel a bit more enlightened and a bit more safe within yourself because you've actually considered, you know, the response. Mm. Um, So I really see how that could have helped you and how that could help certain people. And I think that's the thing with irrational fears and irrational thoughts. For some people, it can be never ending. It can continue to spiral into the next thought and the next thought of what if this happens and what if that happens. And instead of thinking, what if this happens, perhaps the thought needs to be, how would I deal with it? What would I do? And that could kind of get the person to feel a bit more secure in themselves, or it could get them to a point where they think, actually, do you know what? I've, I've thought I can deal with it if, if it were to happen, obviously I hope it doesn't happen, but you know, my Mm. mind has gone there. Um, so sometimes you're right. It's not about just squashing it and pushing it away. Sometimes we have to kind of 
I guess it's like feeling that fear and facing it. Yeah, yeah, mm. and, and it really helped me. And, yeah. you know, I think the reason, and I'll share, you know, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I'll share for the sake of this episode mm. that for the time in my life when I experienced anxiety like never before, you know, I've mm-hmm. always been someone, fortunately, who's had, I think, good mental health. And I've mm-hmm. always felt, you know, I've done the practices around sleep and exercise. And mm-hmm. of course we all have challenges, but the time when it really overwhelmed me in my life was when my ex-husband was having epileptic seizures. And that's mm-hmm. the fear that I'm describing. Cause I used to just mm-hmm. think, cause he used to have them in the middle of the night. And for anybody oh. who has seen a partner or, or family member mm-hmm. or child have, have seizures, it's very scary. Yes. So I used to always think if I was worried before I went to bed, mm-hmm. if I was having anxiety about it, real physic would really manifest in my body. Yeah. And then I'd think, you know, it's not going to happen. He's not going to have a seizure. It's not going to happen. And then if it did, it was terrifying. So yeah, once I worked with the therapist and was like, you know what, if it did happen again, Mm. which hopefully it won't, but if it does, what would you do? And I walked through the steps of, you know, well, I call the ambulance and then this happens Mm -hmm. and that happens. It was actually like, I don't want it to happen. And hopefully it won't, but it really, yeah, really helped me. And I think for anyone who... You know, I can't imagine actually for parents who might have children who have seizures, like you almost live with this constant fear, like every day, like it could happen, it could happen. And again, I used to catastrophize, what if it happens and I'm not there? Or what if it happens when they're in the shower? Like there's all these dangers. But it was like, I just had to remember that firstly, a lot of those catastrophizing fears actually had never happened and they were just happening in my mind. They'd never happened Mm -hmm. actually ever. And then secondly, Mm. it was like, if something like that happened again, you do know what to do, you can cope and you will so i just want to point out adrian um what you're explaining to me and how you're explaining it and i want to point this out for the listener is it sounds in many ways that your thought processes are leading you to change the thought pattern to talk to yourself in a more reassuring and positive way Mm. And that's really important for mental health. And it's really important for anxiety because we all have a different inner voice. We have lots of internal voices that will talk, that will think through our thoughts internally with that inner chatter. And for a lot of people, they let that inner chatter take over. They don't know how to control it. And that voice will um, talk through a panic tone. It will have like thoughts that are fearful, leading them to feel on edge. But if you change, if you actively change the way that you're speaking within yourself, you will change how you feel. And it pretty much sounds to me that as you've relayed that experience and that work that you uncovered with your therapist, you changed the way that you were thinking about it with your inner voice. Mm. Absolutely. And that, you know, and that can really, really help a person. And that's something you can do anywhere. You can do anywhere because mm. no one knows what you're saying inside your head with your inner voice. So if it's saying things like, I'm safe, I can cope with this, I can deal with it, right? That is much more empowering to use your mind, use your inner voice to change what you're saying, to improve how you're feeling instead of letting those anxious, irrational thoughts and that irrational inner voice take over. Yeah, exactly. You're so right. And and also I'd like to add that it didn't happen just in one day. It wasn't like, oh, one day yes. I was complete. It really, this took me, honestly, this took me <laughs> years, Cameron. It took me years. Of course. And I'm so, so glad that you said that because that is such an important point. It's like, the first step is awareness, becoming aware of how you're thinking, what you're saying or what you're seeing in your mind. But then the second step is to act on that awareness. And exactly like you've said, it's a daily practice. It's a daily practice using your inner voice. It's a daily practice using your mind. And it's it's just as important as training the physical body, you know, three times a week minimum or whatever a person does. You need to do something for your mind, I think, daily. Mm. 
Yeah, that's something, to be honest, I should probably mm. try and do more of right, because, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not someone who has a very strict or, or even just a deep, like, meditation practice or a mindful mm. practice. It's mm. something that I know is a tool that I could yes. go to when I need it. But Absolutely. I think we should probably, yeah, I probably could get better at making that more regular. And it, it probably wouldn't take that much time. That's the reality of it. You know, it, w- it wouldn't actually take much time of your day. Mm, yeah well food for thought for me and then Mm. the other thing I want to talk to you about today is anxiety and sleep because I've talked on this podcast a lot about sleep of course Mm -hmm. people know that I am an early riser I'm an advocate (laughs) of the power hour and (laughs) sleep is something again that I'm fortunate most of my life I sleep well but during that period of time I didn't yes now of course when we say to people that having a good sleep routine is really important for supporting mental health and our ability to regulate our emotions, being sleep deprived, we know, is one of the things that can yeah, be detrimental for our health. But the problem is, if you're feeling anxious or you're feeling stressed mm-hmm. or you're feeling overwhelmed, often that's when it starts to impact your sleep in the first place. So you might feel like, okay, I don't want to go to bed if I'm, you know, got all these racing thoughts, if I'm stressed Mm -hmm. out. So instead, let me just have a glass of wine or let me watch a Mm. bit of TV or Mm. vice versa. Sometimes people who wake up early with like, wake up in the morning, eyes open, straight away in bed. The first thing you're thinking about is your worries. Is just get up early and just think, right, jump out of bed. So if anxiety impacts your sleep but then we know that being sleep deprived is bad for mental health it's kind Mm. of this like downward spiral so (laughs) yeah do you have any tools any frameworks how can we start to think about um mitigating the impact of anxiety on our ability to get a good night's sleep Mm, i think the approach here is to use kind of more nlp tools um which i show people and have kind of outlined throughout my book of how you can kind of in many ways intervene on those thoughts um, especially when you're lying in bed trying to get to sleep and your mind is just racing you know 100 miles an hour Um, if you don't if you don't take action on the thoughts they will continue to distract you they will continue to control you and so from an nlp point of view people tend to think either through pictures they'll see their thoughts they'll have kind of scenes scenarios mental movies or as i've mentioned they'll have the more auditory side where it's internal dialogue in a chatter and they'll hear their thoughts um and the kind of nlp approach is to have like a remote control to the mind to kind of mute or to stop those thoughts and it's a practice that you do a few times and it sends that signal to the brain you can actually stop the thought patterns um, or to actively think yourself into a space which is calming so that could be lying in a hammock it could be you know in nature because if you're in that environment that's calming, if you're in that mental environment internally, you're more likely to relax and fall asleep. So that's kind of my approach is to change the inner environment or to stop the thoughts. However, we have got access to lots of other things now, like we can have audios when we're falling asleep. You can kind of do self-hypnosis to relax. You can kind of have white noise like It's such an important point that when people are anxious, when they have things going on in their life, it can affect their sleep. So that is one area that you want to, you know, make that environment, make that time as supportive for yourself as you can so that you get that rest and recovery. 
Yeah, and during the pandemic, apparently one of the top three searches, like at the height mm. of the pandemic, was about sleep complaints. So people were Googling, for example, yeah. how to, um, what to do if you wake up in the night, how to overcome insomnia. And apparently people yeah. were Googling about dreams and nightmares. So it right. kind of makes sense that during the pandemic, where there was this kind of, I suppose, collective anxiety, that yeah. people were really struggling with sleep. Mm. And to be honest, from kind of my you know, now years of professional experience, working with sleep is actually one of the easiest things to overcome um, because the mind gets to kind of get back in alignment with its natural normal state of falling asleep because falling asleep is a normal thing. What tends to happen for people is it's become a habitual pattern over a long period of time. So what's happening is the mind is just in that pattern at that time of night. So if you start to communicate or you have that practitioner communicate with the unconscious mind, it can let go of that old behavior, which can be a very simple and straightforward process. But again, it's something that I don't think many people are aware of. Yeah, and I think it's great to hear that because often mm. we kind of think that, you know, when I was saying before with my experience, okay, it took mm. me years to to kind of let go of some of that anxiety and change the, the narrative. But actually yeah. I think hearing that, you know what, we all know how to sleep. Sleep yeah. is something your body knows how to do naturally. Absolutely. And if you retrain the habit, yeah. I think it's nice for people to kind of probably quite reassuring to go, actually, you can get back to that in quite a simple way. You can, absolutely. And the sad thing is I've seen people who have struggled for a long time, you know, years mm. and years. Um, and yes, things have happened in their life or they've moved on from things or things are happening, but ended up and they are they're stuck in that habit and they don't know how to get out of it and that's usually where you need to work on the deeper layer of the mind mm. and I think this is something that I've this is a complaint that I've also heard from a lot of male friends in my life mm. now I don't know if this is I don't know when it comes to the science around anxiety and sleep disorders or even just anxiety in general for the for this conversation do you feel like there are some big differences in the way that we need to approach these tools for men for for women for non-gender conforming people mm, do you know what I think the answer to that which is kind of where I am professionally and kind of personally at the moment is I feel like we've got to a space where the conversation around mental health has opened up and people will say, you know, I'm going through this, I've got some depression, I've got some anxiety. But I think where it needs to evolve to and where it needs to change is where people start talking about what treatment they're having and what approaches mm. they're using, because that's actually highlighting the work that's being done and the work that's available. Um, and that in some ways can help men and women and you know non-binary people understand the different aspects and different elements that are available and I think that's really where things need to shift and open up to um, I do find generally that men tend to warm more towards I use a process called integral eye movement therapy mm -hmm. um, which is a very rapid release um, response around things like fear panic feeling on edge, low confidence. And I, I think men tend to like that because it, it, it changes things very quickly. And, you know, like you said earlier, when we're, as we're talking about things being a daily practice, you know, it, it can take time, it can take years. We live in this world now where one of the questions I get asked the most is how quickly will things work? How, because I think we've come to this world of, you know, you can get a delivery on the same day, you can go on your <laughs> phone and something arrives at your door, then, you know, people want, and it, it's not always a quick fix. 
Um, so I think people need to understand that there's different options out there, but also it does take time. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm probably one of those people, if I'm really honest with you, with certain things, I'm quite an impatient person. So mm. yeah, I think this, there's certain things I think I'm getting better at, but I can mm -hmm. fully understand why people would say, okay, cool. I'm going to do this therapy or I'm going to try this new thing. How long is it going to take? You know, do I need to do six weeks? Yeah, do I need yeah, to do yeah. 10 weeks? And then it's all going to be done, sorted, fixed. Mm, mm. And uh, yeah, sadly, I think it is it is much more of a journey. But the reason I ask is because, you know, for Mental Health Awareness Week this year, obviously the topic is anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've seen on LinkedIn, you know, I have, like I said, some male colleagues who talk mm. quite openly about their struggles with mental health and about mm -hmm. how they're using exercise to, yes. to try and help them. And for example, one, one friend, he actually writes, uh kind of like a weekly it's not a blog but he kind of does like a weekly update where he says i've had a really poor mental health week and Ooh. he's like what he actually shared one recently which i read and it was quite candid and you know it's not necessarily easy to read but i thought wow he's sharing this saying you know that he'd had a really poor mental health week he said he'd not been out of his of his flat he was like i couldn't you know face like lacing up my trainers and heading out but then the following week he'd been like no i'm committing to doing uh, a 30 minute run every day around the park just to try and have that practice and i thought mm -hmm. it was really interesting that he's you know he's a male who's in a very senior leadership position he shares yep. this and i thought it was really really great to see all the comments and people talking and like you said him being open about it because i think yeah, there is good, still a stigma good. attached yes. especially within leadership to say yes how can you tell all these people in the world on the internet on linkedin that you couldn't leave your house last week yeah. and you're you're you know you're a leader <laughs> i thought it was really amazing that he could do that it is amazing and it's the truth isn't it it's reality um now what it doesn't matter what position you're in how high up you are how successful you are you're going to feel your feelings and you're going to have your thoughts life happens to all of us and that is a reality and to be able to put that out there and share that is you know it's really warming and eye-opening to people that everyone experiences their feelings and thoughts yeah yeah i agree i just think hopefully the stigma is yeah starting yeah. to change because i know for some mm. people they would never want their employees or their or their mm. employers to know that they are struggling yes. with mental health there's still a feeling that within the workplace maybe yeah. they'll be won't be given as much responsibility or maybe they'll right. be overlooked or or maybe even sometimes people feel that they'll be asked to leave their job you know it's mm. it's a real challenge i think in the corporate world for us yeah. to take this conversation that we think is quite open and honest maybe online into mm. the real practical into the office you know and i think that's something where it comes then in many ways to the individual to look at well how can i help myself and what is available to help myself and things like hypnotherapy, which is deeply relaxing. So it's like a double win. You get to relax while you're having the process. You're not having to work out. You're not gonna have DOMS. You're not gonna be exhausted. Like you actually get to have a nap while the practitioner is working with you. So it's win-win, but things like hypnotherapy can really help. They can accelerate your results. Things like integral eye movement therapy can help. And learning mindfulness, learning tools, you know, NLP things that you can use on your mind to feel in control, to feel calm. These are all things that I keep saying we should have been taught at in our education and school because we'd be able to use them now in different aspects of our lives. But it's a sad fact that as adults, we kind of have to train and learn ourselves. And that's mm. the reality. And we have access. We've got so many self-help books. There's podcasts, there's programs. Or if you want, you know, a quicker response, you work on a one-to-one -one level with someone and you can get those results. Yeah, well, actually, I'd like to just maybe double click on a few of the things that you said then. So one mm. being integral eye movement therapy, because yes. I'll be honest, I've heard it talked about on a few mm. podcasts that I listen to. But I'm not 
I'm 100% sure. And then the sure. other one being hypnosis. I think people have a lot of um, maybe ideas in their mind when they hear that yes, word. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so my questions are about those two are first and foremost, because I know a lot of people now do therapy online and that's the way, the yes. way they access it. Are these yeah. the kind of therapies that people can do online or do you need to be in the room with a practitioner to do those? You can 100% do them online on a video audio call. Um, and that's what I do. I see people all over the world. But yes, both both practices can be done in person or online. So firstly, then, great to hear that. But mm-hmm. the first one, integral eye movement therapy. Can you tell yes. us yeah, what that kind of is and who's best suited, who it's best suited for? Um, it's best suited for everyone and anyone. It's a very rapid release process where... Generally for people, the feelings and emotions they have are stored in their limbic system in the back of the brain, in the hippocampus. And so for some people, a lot of their feelings are unconscious. So they will get feelings in their body, but they don't know why. They don't know why they're feeling what they're feeling, whether that's the sweating, whether it's the panic, whether it's the fear. And because it's unconscious, it's generally related to something in their past that is kept out of conscious awareness. So through questioning, and it's literally three simple questions that we do, you know, around around the feeling, the unconscious mind, almost like a file, presents the memory, the root cause. So it gets very, very quickly to the root cause. Once you have the memory and the feeling, the eyes then are guided through the movement from the practitioner. And what happens is for a lot of people, they either get a reduction of the feeling immediately. A lot of people get an elimination of the feeling where they can't feel it at all. And also you get changes to the experience, the picture, the memory and a mental update. And how that's powerful is because a lot of people's fears, a lot of people's anxieties, and it will go further, a lot of people's behaviours, their behaviours, can be operating, if we look at it from that point of view, from a younger age. Mm. Even though they're at their current adult age, it can be seeping through with a need, with a want, and it will be creeping through into their life and it will switch on at certain times that behavior and um, in a nutshell then the process helps to delete it or remove it and update it mm, i'm fascinated by this because mm, i feel like from a neurological perspective yeah the science obviously i don't know in detail the science between what is happening when you're moving your eyes in a specific yep. pattern is it yep. am i right in thinking to correct me if i'm going way off piste here am i right in thinking that doing this rapid eye movement in a specific sequence whilst mm. you're yeah talking or discussing or or reframing whatever the memory is is it Mm. right that it's actually kind of changing or transforming a neural pathway like in your brain like physically that's happening it's not just an emotional thing right it's actually rewiring the the parts of the brain it's changing the brain in terms of how the emotion is stored so the emotion for that negative experience for that anxious experience won't be there and it's very rapid which is why a lot of people are kind of turning towards it because you don't have to sit and talk for a lot of the detail so you don't have to go you know and I don't have any objections to talk therapy or counseling because you know they are good for people I've had counseling myself it really helped but I see a lot of people that have felt that they've just talked about things and spoken about issues and not actually resolved or or kind of overcome the feelings so this as a process does that it allows you to explore it but it allows you to kind of free yourself of the burden of of those feelings 
I think it's great to, to hear. I'm, I'm fascinated. Mm. I want to find out more about it because I think mm. the idea for a lot of people when they talk about mental health and they talk about things, as you described, talking therapy, they still think of the mind as being yes. this kind of thing that's just, you know, not real. But actually the brain is an organ in the body that functions yes. just like if you talked about the liver, the lungs, the heart. The yep. brain is an organ that functions. So if there are things that we know we can do to change yep. the structure of our heart function or our liver function or our, then it's exactly the same for the brain i don't know why when it comes to things about the mind we've kind of separated yep. them into these two things it's like one is tangible and the other just feels like a little bit do you know what i mean people say it's a bit woo-woo yeah, completely it's, like, no, no, it's, no, not it's so true it's, a, it's so true it's an organ. <laughs> yeah and it affects our body it affects how we feel like our brain our thoughts our experiences it affects how we feel in the body and you know you have got so many practitioners books studies now that will go further and further we probably haven't got time to talk about this today but say that those thoughts feelings and emotions in our body eventually affect our health or aspects yeah. of health right so if you do that work if you tidy up and release it then your health could improve and mm just kind of jumping to my mind now one of the biggest kind of impacts and results i had with a lady who came to see me who had some anxiety she didn't really know what it was about a lot of the feelings were going back to when she was at university um and she hadn't told me in the consultation kind of we you know what was going on in her present life because she didn't feel she needed to but a lot of it was um, going back to experiences at university um, we did the release work and later that day she messaged me saying I can't believe this has happened she said I'm having IVF treatment um, I haven't had a period in months and literally an hour after the session from all the release work my period started mm. um, and it's just like a lot of the stuff that we were working on was around that but she hadn't made that connection and I didn't know she was on that journey and you know she's then carried on with her treatment she's managed to conceive she's now you know it's such a happy story but she hadn't made the connection to that period back in her early life and that's the thing a lot of it lives within us it lives within our body mm -hmm. it lives within our mind but on an unconscious level yes yes it's so powerful hearing these mm. stories because yeah I I, you know, I've heard similar things from people when it, when it comes to physical health conditions and, mm -hmm. you know, somatic therapy and release mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. things that people might have had for years might be, Absolutely. you know, skin complaints. So eczema, psoriasis, 100%. all sorts of things. And, you know, I certainly don't want to, you know, it's not my area of expertise. So I don't want to yep. say to people, okay, if you've suffered with a physical condition your whole life, then therapy might yep. heal it. But I really yep. do think it's important that we're learning more and the science supports how much Absolutely. the mind and body is, is really linked. It's definitely something worth exploring. Like you're saying, it's not, we're not saying, oh, it means this. It's, you know, your condition is because of this. It's just something that's worth exploring. Absolutely. Yeah, I do have, to be honest, I do have a wonderful friend who she, mm. I mean, she's one of these people who every single thing you say, if you have a headache, she's like, oh, it's because of this. If you have like, <laughs> yes, if you yes, had yeah. food poisoning, I if you know, had food poisoning yeah. and you were genuinely ill, she'd be like, your body's releasing trauma. And I'm like, no, yeah. I've just got food poisoning. Like, it's not the same. What? And sometimes you're right. It is just a headache and it is food poisoning. But, you know, sometimes if I feel away or if my husband feels away, I will go to my bookshelf and get that book off and just, just check in, see what it's pointing because you never know right mm, you never know yeah. hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. 
Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So lastly, I'd love to talk to you about routine before we move mm. on to talk about the power hour. Because again, routine, I don't know whether this is, you know, always helpful, but I hear it a lot when it comes to things supporting mental health. People like routine, routine, routine. So yes. Cameron, do you think that having daily routines, maybe a morning routine is a very, very helpful tool that we should all try to use to support our mental health? I think absolutely. I think if you can find something that's healthy, that works for your mind and your body, repeat it get into a routine with it and just reap the benefits i think routine forms habit and you know for a lot of people it's breaking down the habitual patterns that are there um, and it doesn't take long to change that but having a routine will develop healthier habits and can improve your mental and emotional health Okay, I'm going to throw that back at you the challenge that i get from people so mm. if they say okay routine is great mm-hmm. but I can't have a routine because maybe my work schedule, you know, I have to do these, I don't know, things where I get home late, so I can't do that. Or, you know, my routine changes all the time and I've got kids and like, actually, sometimes I can get this great routine for a couple of days, but it doesn't last. Yeah. What's your advice to people if they're like, okay, routine is what I need, but I can't Mm. possibly create that. I think they need to plan. They need to, it won't take long to sit and plan to think through your week and find the windows of opportunity. I don't want to sound blunt here, but you know, and I will fall I will fall guilty to this myself at times. So many people unconsciously without awareness give time to their phone, to looking mm-hmm. on their phone, to looking at apps, spend it like take yourself off your phone and use that time, even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's this much. And it's about boundaries. A lot of people I saw post um covid post lockdowns who i worked with through covid and before covid they have let their work boundaries down their work Mm. goes into the evenings it goes into the weekends because they're doing it all from home um and you know their firms they've they've just noticed it but no one stopped it like everyone's doing so you have to have healthy boundaries if you don't have time you've got to carve out the time that's what i think Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I am nodding my head a lot because yeah. I think it's really mm. important. And it's hard because, as you say, it sounds blunt to say to people, you yeah. have to create and take ownership over mm-hmm. your own routine. And sometimes people find that so hard. But as you said, if you say to me, oh, well, I have to reply to emails on a Sunday because my boss sends them, that yeah. is still your choice to open emails on a Sunday. Exactly. And that's Absolutely. quite hard, isn't it, to say to people like, you know, create this routine but then also like protect it you know protect Protect that time it's really important of course because it's not worth the long-term effects Mm, yeah absolutely okay so routine is important we have to try and create it we have to protect it at all costs and when it comes to the morning routine which of course every week i ask each guest on the show to tell us about their morning routine so firstly can you tell us cameron uh, Mm -hmm. what does the first hour of your day include Mm. well This is interesting because I'm I'm reflecting on this now and this in many ways has become a habit that that I do without thinking because I guess I've done things like this for a long period of time. But in that first hour of the day, I will sit in my home and I will actively use my inner voice. I will actively Mm. speak into existence internally, that I am in good health, 
that I am strong, that it is a new day. And I'll think of things that I appreciate, things that I value about myself, about my life. I just start the day with that tone and it's always in a dialogue. It's always in a dialogue. And I wasn't really fully aware of that until you asked me. It's something that I do naturally. It's also something that I do naturally if I have to dash out the house. I actually mm. find myself doing it in the car while I'm driving. So yeah. even though that morning I don't have the time to sit and do it, I'm actually doing it while I'm driving. I'm having that reflection. I'm having that conversation because for me, what I say to myself, what I think is going to influence the tone of my emotions and that day. So I want to start it in a kind of positive appreciative or even joyous tone i absolutely love that because what mm. i was thinking of when you said that you might call it did you say inner inner voice, inner voice. In a, yeah 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 so you call it inner voice and i feel like this is maybe a little bit cringe a little bit embarrassing people mm. might laugh at this but i have when i <laughs> i have when i'm running or when i'm training yes i have that but it's like an inner coach so yes. my inner coach i almost like you know I, I, obviously i used to you know work with clients and be a coach in the fitness and well-being yes, space yes, yeah. and now i like turn that coach voice to myself so an example yeah. like i said people might laugh but when i'm running and i'm feeling like you know what i'm maybe struggling maybe i'm halfway mm. maybe i'm just literally 10 minutes into this like two hour run i mm. will start to do that to myself i'm like yeah, you are your legs are strong i'm like your breathing's yeah. relaxed your feet and i kind of say it in my head i don't say it out loud but i'm kind of yes. telling myself like your body is strong you mm -hmm. you know you can you can run free you can run strong like and i'll say yeah. it in my mind like i would if i was if i had someone next to me and i was coaching them on the yeah. run that's what i do so i loved when you said that because i thought actually Absolutely. it doesn't have to just be when you're out training it could just be it in the be morning anywhere. before yeah, yeah. And, and that's how I start my day. I sit and I do that. I start my day quite slow. I'll observe. I like stillness and I like silence. So, you know, I'll kind of listen and tune into that as well. But exactly what you're saying, you've just reminded, you know, when I go into the gym sometimes and I can't be bothered, my inner voice switches on. It's like, come on, get on that treadmill, get on with it. You've just got, and it, it's that, because if I go down the other route, I'm going to cancel what I'm doing and, and fall into that pattern. So using your inner voice is one of the biggest things you can do for any activity in any place at any time. Mm. And so if I could ask you one more question about this. So if mm. you're starting the day with this inner voice and you're, yes. you're telling yourself positive things. So for example, like you said, I'm yep. healthy, or you might say, I yep. am grateful to have this home that I live in, or I've yep. got my husband. But yep. if there's things, if there's things going on in your life, like they inevitably do, that are challenging, yeah. that are difficult, that are stressful. In yeah. that morning practice with your inner voice, would you acknowledge some of those things or would you just try to focus on the the things that you're happy and grateful about? Or would you pull those things into that morning dialogue and say, this is something I'm, I can, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. know, for example, face this confrontation or I can yes. resolve this conflict. So firstly, I would start with, you know, acknowledging what is good, what is peaceful, what I can appreciate. Like I would start on that tone, then I probably would address those things. And it's, you know, addressing those things of this will pass. There's a solution mm. here, you know, this isn't gonna be forever. Things are working out instead of starting with those and very much mindfully not falling into those thoughtful patterns of worry, of fear, of panic. So yes, I would address them, but I would still in those moments start with the way that I'm used to. 
Great. I like that. I like that because it's mm. that's life, isn't it? We can't always just yeah, be like, we can't. Let's just we focus can't. on the good stuff, you know? Yeah, we can't because life happens. But in those difficult times that we all have, if you can focus on any of those good things, it's like changing that channel. It's like walking down a different path, which change, you know, just for a moment, just to change that feeling, to interrupt it, um, because you're exactly, it happens to us all. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've really enjoyed this, Cameron. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, you so everyone, much for having me. Could you just remind the listeners of the title of your book and where they can get it? Yeah, my book, The Anxiety Antidote, is available in all good bookstores and online. It's also available on audiobook and ebook. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And as always, listeners, I really appreciate you tuning in. I hope this episode has been helpful. And if so, please do share it with others that you think would enjoy this conversation as well. As always, that's how we reach more listeners. That's how we grow the power our message and hopefully help as many people as we can. Stay tuned for next week. I'll be back with another episode. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.